we've been talking about um, looking at the Bible, how we uh, view the Bible, how we study the Bible, why are our views different? Uh, I said, we need to back up a moment because we're using words that I don't think people know what they mean, exegesis. Um, and so I, Dr. Hawk is on the line. This is what he does for a living. He teaches on this stuff. Me, I just dibble and dabble at it. But exegesis is letting the text speak for itself. Eisegesis is impressing upon the text something from the outside rather than letting the text speak for itself. And so in the evangelical world, exegesis is the cat's meow. Hey, everybody, and welcome to The Intersection, a podcast that takes a real look at how race and relationships intersect. We will look at how our unique and diverse lives intersect with thousands of people on a regular basis and how the gospel intersects with each facet and issue that we face. Join us as we look at how we can set our eyes on the life of Christ as a source of compassion for each of our relationships. Our hosts include Pastor Jeff Bogue, Senior Pastor at Grace Church of Greater Akron, Bishop Joey Johnson, Founder and Senior Pastor at the House of the Lord, and Pastor Coach Kemp Boyd, Co-Pastor at Garden City Church and Executive Director for Love Akron. Keep listening as we cross paths on today's episode of The Intersection. Welcome, everybody, to another episode and installment of The Intersection, where we just simply believe that the intersection is a really great podcast. It tells us how we intersect, not only with each other, but how we allow Jesus to intersect in different aspects of our life. And as always, I am joined and flanked by people a lot smarter than I am and has a lot more wisdom and even some have more hair than I do. So, <laughs> hey, we're excited about that. Um, so I'm going to start with the person that has just the same barber that I do. And that's Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson. Say hello to everybody today. What's up? What's up? Glad to see you. Glad to be here. Pastor Jeff. How you doing? Good to be back. Good to see you guys. And Dr. Hall. Good to be here and ready to get into it. Absolutely. Well, we've been getting into a lot of different things here over the past, I would say, couple of months. One of those kind of led us into, because everybody knows what we do here. We always go down somewhere of a rabbit trail and... Man, between Bishop, Pastor Jeff, they just kind of get the rolling and moving. But right now, what I'd love to do, and this is, I'm just throwing this out to the group, you know, kind of like just putting the, putting the food out there, see who's going to run and grab it first. When we talk about exegesis and eisegesis, why are they different? Let, let's help people to understand and define terms of people. Why are they different and kind of what is the preference? So we're going to we're going to lean into this today because I feel like it's important for our audience to understand what those two things are. And is there one that man is a preference over the other or is it just a thing where it's not a it's not an either or maybe it's a both and. So I'm going to put that out there. Who wants to take their first swing at this? Well, I'll start since I'm the one that pushed you to. Get over there. You kept using the word last time. You know, what about exegesis? Exegesis. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> How do I get oh, blamed for this when I'm here? Oh, my, my God. I said, so, I mean, do people know what exegesis is? Probably not. <laughs> um, hey, Pat, let, hold on. Pastor Jeff, you got to support me here because 
The only thing I do is write down what you all tell me to do. No, no, you're I, driver. I gotta give he's him driver. that one. I gotta give him that one, Bishop. No, he, he he's a driver. He writes it down, but then he reinterprets. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and so you were talking about exit. You use that word, and I, I said, you know, we've been talking about um, looking at the Bible, how we. Uh, view the Bible, how we study the Bible, why are our views different? Uh, I said, we need to back up a moment because we're using words that I don't think people know what they mean, exegesis. Um, and so I, Dr. Hawk is on the line. This is what he does for a living. He teaches on this stuff. May I just dibble and dabble at it, but exegesis is letting the text speak for itself. Eisegesis is impressing upon the text something from the outside rather than letting the text speak for itself. And so in the evangelical world, exegesis is the cat's meow. You know, everybody, the, the scholars, they're using that word. Um, they are trying to let the text speak for itself. Let it come. Dr. Hawk, help us out, brother. Well, I, let me just take the exegesis piece and, and just add to that, that exegesis is also an approach, a way to read scripture that, um, pays careful attention to the details. So it's, it's a lot of times we just kind of speed read or we, we read and it kind of lets things sink in. Um, exegesis and uh, paraphrasing Eugene Peterson, exegesis is an act of love where we give the, the one we love enough time to speak to us. We linger with the text. We stay in the text, we meditate on the text, we think about the text. Um, so that has been the, the, the thread of Christian interpretation from the very beginning, no matter what hermeneutic, no, no matter what form of interpretation Christians have employed throughout the ages, they've always gone deep and stayed carefully with the text and paid attention to the details. Do it, Jeff. Well, I, I think that's a great explanation. I was enjoying that, frankly. <laughs> and so, I, that, was, uh, that was better than I've ever had to explain to me. And, but I, I think um, if you're going to put this like in a, bring it out of the academic world where all the all the doctors aren't talking, uh, Dr. Johnson, and Dr. Hawk and Dr. Bogue, or just like down into like, you know, the normal speak. Uh, when I, when I'm exegeting something, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to understand what the Bible actually says. And I'm trying to understand, for instance, what Jesus said and what he meant and why he meant it and how that applied oftentimes in like the culture it was said in, and I'm trying to draw my truth and my application out of that. Eisegesis is, is in some ways the opposite, where I'm going to go into the scripture and I'm going to make it say what I want it to say, right? I'm going to, I'm going to proof text it some way. And that, that sounds a little nefarious, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring a lot of me in, into the scripture instead of allowing the scripture to come in into me. So I just, I look at that as it's a discipline uh, of study in a lot of ways, but it's also, in, in some ways, it's kind of like a way to interact with God, where, where I, I'm wanting to hear God's heart and hear his mind through his word, and I want that to affect me, 
and I don't want to make myself the the center point of uh, the scripture. I want to make God the center point of the scripture, and me the the recipient of it. And and um, I think that's it's something I have to be careful of. I, I think a lot of times, like there's a lot of uh, Bible verse tattoos and a lot of T-shirts and things like that that people wear. Uh, my, uh, my favorite one to pick on is, is, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean that you can hit your workout record or run your 5k faster. That's not what that passage means at all. It also doesn't mean that you're abusing it necessarily because that, that might be a part of your spiritual journey, or maybe you ask God to help you get healthy and, you know, but, but you just have to be very, very careful or you just made things. Another one that pops up a lot is all things work together for the good. And like, we stop there and I'm just like, the rest of the verse says for those who love God. <laughs> so it's not like everything works out for you. So I, I think that's where it gets important is when we're praying the prayer of Jabez, or, or we're saying God has great plans for my life. And what I mean is that God's going to bless what I decided to do. And we're, we're not letting the text be in context. We're not letting it be true. And we're not conforming our heart to God's heart. We're conforming his word to our will. And that, that gets pretty dangerous pretty quickly. And so that being exegetical helps that discipline to not approach the scripture that way. I think that's great. I think both of you have hit the nail on the head with some great explanations. And I think ultimately what we were trying to determine is if we're, if we're using the same method, we're doing the same style of interpretation, then what happened? Uh, <laughs> we should all come out the same spot, right? We're all we're all doing that to the text or whatever. But the problem is, I like to talk a little bit about what you just said, uh, Pastor Jeff, how we get involved in that process, mm -hmm. and then the different methods. And I'd like to talk about three methods before we leave today. One would be historical, one would be grammatical, and the third one would be one that I lift up that I think the, the academy has yet to really deal with, and that's cultural. Uh, it comes up every now and then, but it is not a part of some people's uh, tool bag. Um, they are historical, grammatical, and they're exegesis, and a little bit of cultural. Um, but the cultural context, I think, is critical to understanding what's going on. So let's go back a little bit and deal with, so I'm doing exegesis. I'm trying to let the text speak to me. I'm trying to spend time with the, how do I end up with a completely different interpretation? Not a little different, completely different than others who are dealing with the very same text. I, I would say because you're not doing true exegesis, like you're, you're, you're reading yourself in. Like we've talked in the past, uh, in our friendship as well as on this podcast about like, how did you come up with, uh, think about the racial complexities of, of North America. How did you come up with it's biblical to own another human being? Well, you went into the scripture and you saw something that Paul wrote to a group of people who were in a unjust situation about how to share their, their, the hope of Jesus. So a slave to a master 
and then you saw the word slave and you saw the word master, you twisted the word of God to your agenda and said it was biblical for one human being to own another human being. So you did not look at what I would call the whole counsel of God or the whole heart and mind of God in the scripture you found something that had words to prove to somebody else that this is what you want your agenda to be instead of with a humble heart and an open mind and a spirit led heart saying, let the word of God speak to me, the, the heart and the mind of God. So it's because you read your desire into God's word and felt like he, you found a way to prove your point with God justifying it. Of the heart, I'm going to step back and make a more general statement. And, and that is that the way we interpret the Bible and the, the method that we believe is appropriate and right depends on our view of what the Bible is. Hmm. We live in an information culture. Uh, and uh, I wish I would have been the, the person to tra trademark B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving her. But we live in this idea and we, we, Western Protestantism has been there for about three to 400 years. The fundamental idea is the Bible is the source of information. It, it gives us um, the information that we need to believe the right things, act the right ways, make the right decisions. And that's, that's pretty much ingrained. Uh, and if, if that's your view of the Bible, fundamentally or only your view of the Bible, then a, a couple of things follow. First of all, um, every biblical text has one and only one right meaning. Because you, you, you can't have an, a textbook that, that is unclear and slippery. So, so exegesis becomes the practice of discerning that one correct meaning using various tools and with the assumption that we can be completely objective in our interpretation of scripture. And the problem, and so in that, and you'll, you'll notice I didn't talk about eisegesis. Eisegesis is attached to this paradigm. Eisegesis is um, the, the sin above all exegetical sins. Do not read yourself into the scripture into your interpretation um, because you got to stay objective. Uh, and the problem is, and here's where I'm circling back around, the problem is none of us are capable of that measure of objectivity. That's, that's the dirty little secret. And that's why, particularly Protestants, we will come to this same text and passage and we'll devote all of our tools, we'll make our own arguments, and we'll come out with a completely different um, interpretation because we've brought different, different things out of our own experiences 
and beliefs into that process. And what we do is just say, well, you know, <laughs> your exegesis is bad, <laughs> mine is right. Or, but every time, every time, if you're a, if you're not a pastor and you're just, or, or a professor, and you're just a normal person, every time you say the phrase, I've never heard anyone make that point from that passage before. Everything Dr. Hawk just said is playing out in front of you right now. Or, or we would be spitting out. It, like nobody's arguing about when World War II started and when it ended. Those are facts that are in a textbook. But, but the four of us, Kemp, Kemp as a pastor, Bishop, all like the four of us could all look at the same passage, all draw very valid, very biblical points of truth out of that same passage because we, we brought, the Holy Spirit brought us to it in a, in a different way. That's, yeah. that's very different than abusing the yeah. word of God, but it, it's that whole process playing out. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think I'm going to add another word for confusion. Um, I think Dr. Hawk is talking about this, and I'm going to use the word for presuppositionalism. We come to the text with presuppositions. Unfortunately, this is a great discussion to talk about that because some people believe they come to the text with no presuppositions. I'm coming objectively. I don't have any agendas. I don't have any issues. I don't have any struggles. I don't have any. And if you're human, not only is that not true, it's disingenuous to believe that you, a human being, are without troubles, without struggles, without fallibilities without misunderstandings, without blind spots, without it. So presuppositionalism means that we would be more inclined to understand and make room for other points of view if I know that mine may not be 100% correct. Now, at the commencement exercise, I made that point, uh, probably lost a lot of the audience, but uh, something is wrong with every one of our doctrine because we're not infallible. So somewhere I have to be wrong. If I know that I'm wrong somewhere, I don't, I'm not so hard on other people that I think are wrong. I have a, I have a running list of ways you're wrong. Joey, that I was going to email. Can you send those to me, please? <laughs> <laughs> I copied me on that too, if you would. I've been keeping it for like 25 years. I'm gonna... <laughs> so, so let me ask this question. So if we talk about, you know, we're, and again, we're in, getting into the methods, the different ways of kind of teaching from this exegesis perspective. You know, if I do that culturally, obviously it's going to be different, correct? Well, it is from my perspective. Let, let me broach that and then we'll, we'll just throw it up, mix it all together. So, so the predominant way, two, two predominant ways, in my, in my opinion, and Dr. Hawk and, Je and Dr. Jeff will help me out, um, is it's historical. We, we are trying to look at the history of, of the text, go back and figure out what took place so we, we have a history, his, uh, uh, historic perspective. We also have a grammatical 
perspective. And so a lot of people do that. They go back, look up the Greek word. Um, the Greek word says this, or the Hebrew word says this, or the Aramaic word says this, and they think they have it. That's got to be it because I've looked the word up. But if you don't have the culture of the word, in the culture of the times, then you perhaps have missed the entire perspective. I will give one example, and I have, I have thousands, but I'll give one. You're, you're in the uh, 2067, you're looking back at the African-American neighborhood, and uh, you are exegeting a text that says, meet me at the crib. Um, you go back in the historical time, um, African-Americans talk this way. They talked about uh, these kinds of things. You look up the word crib, it says a baby bed. It's <laughs> a place where, where babies sleep. If you had a great dictionary that maybe had some cultural aspect, it would say a word that African-Americans used in this particular way. But I don't care what you have, unless you had lived in the time or are able to situate yourself in that context, crib, does not have a lot of meaning to you at that point. You'd have to have been part of the culture. And so since we cannot learn the culture that way, we cannot live it, we can be respectful of it and go back and try to understand what was being taught. Well, Hebrew is that way. It is a culture of which we are not familiar. It's 2,000 years ago, completely different logic, completely different language. And yet people stand up and say, the Bible says emphatically, and this is what it means. One, as Dr. Hawk would say, one meaning. Not even the Hebrews themselves would do that. <laughs> but that's what we're doing with the text. And so it creates all kinds of issues because we don't have any of this discussion. Why, while you were talking about that, I was thinking of those, um, you ever seen those going into the art museum and you see those 16th century, 17th century paintings of the Bible. Those, those people were, were, were trying to represent and interpret biblical texts, but they weren't in touch. They just believed that everybody was like them. And so they had these pictures in their minds while they were interpreting the Bible. So, you, you, you know, you've got these one, one of the things I, I show in class in one of my first days is there's a Rembrandt painting of, of the finding of, of Moses. And uh, you've got all these portly, lovely ivory white women, a little red haired Moses and beautiful um, medieval architecture in the background, and they they were intent on interpreting faithfully, but they weren't aware of the presuppositions that they brought, the, the pictures that they had in their minds as they read scripture. I think I think it it's a fascinating conversation, and I it um, I think it also demands a caution uh, because the caution is if, if we're not careful, what someone would do with this conversation is say, therefore the Bible has no authority. Mm. 
And what I what I would run into a lot as I interact, and, and uh, we all do this, but I was thinking of you, Dr. Hawk, with being a professor, you, uh, you interact with young adults a lot, is when you come from a position of there is no authority except the truth that I find and discover for myself, um, you can then look and say, God doesn't really say anything because you can't understand a culture, you can't understand the perspective, and there's a thousand ways to interpret that Greek word anyways. So when you're interacting with the Bible, and I know that we all believe this, this is where we, ha we have to move into a position of faith, uh, of believing that the Holy Spirit carried it along, that he empowers the one who approaches the scripture with a pure heart, um, that doctrine and theology do frame us a little bit. Um, if not, then what, like what's happening in our culture a lot right now is we'll suddenly find something new in the Bible. Um, the Bible doesn't say anything about our sexual identity because that word, you guys never understood that that word doesn't mean that word. Uh, the mm -hmm. Bible doesn't talk about creation whether, whether it's a seven day literal or a time period, because that word, that Hebrew word, that doesn't mean that word. It's all metaphorical. And the, the, the basic authority and the, and the basic truth of the scriptures are very quickly undone when we remove them from what I would call the mind of God and, and the heart of God. That's not what we're saying. I want to be clear about that. It's not what any of us are saying or believe. But that's, to me, that's the conversation that I'm having right now with people. I'm not fighting. Um, 20, I, I, uh, in two weeks, I will have been at the church 29 years. So 29 years ago, I was talking about whether my view of the Holy Spirit is the correct one or Bishop Johnson's view of the Holy Spirit is the correct one. You know, that would have been the conversation on the, the lips of the people around us. Today, I'm talking about what a boy is or what a girl is. Hmm. And I'm getting biblical arguments co coming at me saying, no, Jeff, you have read the Bible incorrectly. Or you, you're doing eisegesis. You're you're so biased in your opinion. You're only reading it this way, and I have to step back and say, now wait a minute. Like there's there is a basic authority and a basic design. It actually doesn't come from the Bible. I, I actually believe that very strongly. I don't think we worship the Bible. I believe we find the God that we worship, His heart and mind in it. So it's not that the Bible has this authority. It's that I actually believe it was given and inspired by God. And his mind is not as confusing as you're trying to make it right now. And that, that's a tightrope, at least I'm walking when I'm trying to pastor people on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I, I think I certainly uh, hear you. And I certainly agree with that to a, to a point. But that's not the reality I'm living in. Okay. Um, the reality that I'm living in are people who have have fixed the authority in the church and have established this is the right way. And if you believe any other way, you're on your way to hell. And that 
and, and what we are discussing right now is that very point that we cannot come together on whether the Bible teaches slavery or it doesn't. And wherein does the authority lie? Who has the authority? Um, so authority is a huge, it's a huge word. Um, and there are huge um, fights about the authority of the word of God, the authority of the text, the, the authority. Where does it lie? So that's the one I'm having. I'm not having a lot of trouble with those people in the world. I'm having some trying to discount, but they don't, they don't trust the church. So there, I'm not, a lot of people I'm talking about, what the church thinks that could matter less. I don't really care about, I don't go to church. I don't, I don't need the church. Uh, they've been hurt by the church. So, but it, within our context, what we're, where we're discussing, with people who would be listening to us right now, we're determining where is the authority, who has it, and the church has fixed it so that you almost can't have this discussion. We are so afraid that we are going to be uh, lose orthodoxy. We're so afraid that we're almost not going to talk about certain things because that's too close to something that might be wrong. I think the the people I'm talking about are in my are in my church at least, and they're they're young people who are saying um, the Bible doesn't say I can't be by be bisexual. The Bible uh, the Bible um, how the, I, we believe in the same principles of a New Testament marriage that you do, but I'm just married to someone of the same gender. Those are very almost common conversations right now and and trying to walk through where where does God's authority begin and end and how does it inform that conversation? I would be I would love to hear um, Bishop, if you if you could elaborate a little bit more on what you what you're saying about authority, I mean I mean this is a genuine question, not as a a rebuttal, but um, when you say it's fixed in the when it's fixed in the church, uh, just could you riff well, on yeah. that for a couple minutes? Yeah, yeah before, you, if you, I could, before you, before you ahead, do uh, that, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up with a deeper question. I'd like to hear you both talk about, which is the deeper question is. In what sense does the Bible, how, what is authority? And in what sense does the Bible, is the Bible given to shape Christian thought and practice? So, sorry, Bishop, I just wanted to get that one. No, in that's, that's, that's great. That's um, the one that's behind this question. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, we're certainly not going to solve this, this problem today because this is a, a perennial discussion that's had, but it's, it's a great discussion to have because I don't think we have it enough with people who are not scholars, people who are not pastors. Um, when you begin to talk about verbal plenary inspiration and the word of God is inspired, it is without error. It has, that's a whole, you got a whole swath of arguments right there. Is it without error? Is it? And all of that fight. Um, so a lot of times what we're discussing is when a person says, I believe the Bible the same way as you stop. Don't go any further because I'm not sure you do. We would have to have a long discussion about that before we could say, yes, we do. Because a person who believes the Bible is without error, it has no human 
errors in it can then use it in a very specific way to crush anybody who doesn't agree with their interpretation. And I see that a lot. Here is the truth. Okay, so what am I talking about? <laughs> You're talking about the truth. What, what am I talking about? And so I get that a lot behind the scene. That's what's going on. So as we discuss, um, you're right about this. The sexual questions right now, the questions on sexual identity, all of that, are they're proliferating. No, they're serious. everywhere. Yeah, yeah and, and it, it is the conversation. I, I, I guess uh, I don't really argue with other pastors and theologians. I'll, I'll walk out of the room almost instantly if, if you want to fight about it. I just think it's kind of dumb. <laughs> Because I'm looking, I'm like, everybody I run into is going to hell. So I don't really care what you think about Arminianism. I, I, I'm worried about their soul. And, and uh, I'm, I'm worried about, um, I'm not worried about these nuances. I believe there's a Holy Spirit. I hope he helps real quick because, you know, we're going to lose that person or that individual. That, that idea of authority that I never... And I'm saying this, I'm, I'm really not trying to be, I'm almost like a, taking in this conversation. I'm not trying to be tricky here. I don't really know where, if the Bible doesn't have authority, then I wouldn't know. I what I would start to do, maybe you can help me with this. I would start to say, well, Jesus said I'm to love as love others as I've been loved. Is that a command? I'm supposed to forgive as I've been forgiven. Is that a command? So yeah. I'm not I'm not to unite my body with a prostitute. Right. So well, so like I, if we if we start and stop authority, right. like where do you stop and start it as you go forward with things? And what I would do, that's a great question. I would back up like Dr. Hawk. I would back up a moment and deal with what is the purpose of the Bible? Because before we establish its authority. What is it an authority about? If it's an authority about what's right or wrong, then that's a whole different discussion. If it's a, an authority on relationship with God, well, then that's a different, that's a whole different animal. We're discussing something different. So for instance, I use the scripture um, for the commencement. Uh, the, uh, Paul said the, the supreme purpose of sound biblical doctrine is love. Uh, and I picked it on purpose because I knew it was gonna rankle some feathers and, and bring us to a whole different point because the average person that was sitting on that stage would say the supreme purpose of sound biblical doctrine is orthodoxy. It is being right in your doctrine. That's not what Paul said. He had a chance to say anything he wanted to say. He said it's love. It's relational. Well, once I move into that field, now my authority is completely different. The authority of the police and the authority of a father are not the same. And, it, and it's, it's interesting. I would actually completely agree with you that the purpose of the scripture is to reveal the heart and the mind of God and that God is a relational God. I often say God's a relational God. Don't ever try to understand him outside of relational terms. 
but the authority of a father also has confines to it. So I love my children. And when I tell them to do something, I do believe very deeply when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And John 14, uh, verse 15, what he, the pause is important. The comma is important. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. So our obedience stems from loving God. It, our obedience is not evidence that we love God. It's a, it's a result of loving God. I think we agree. There, we agree. Uh, we, yeah, but, we do. But the problem is a whole lot of the Christian world does not agree. For but instance, in, let's try the Ten Commandments. There are no Ten Commandments in the Bible. Now, I would have some people right there. They would get up and shoot me. There's no Ten Commandments. The wording is the Ten Words of God on the conditions of a covenant. If I'm not in covenant with God, it doesn't command me to do anything. It's a relational concept, not a right or wrong, rule-driven, perfection kind of thing. But that's... What I'm saying right now, Jeff, would be considered heresy in some circles. Well, I, where I run into conflict with that, this is personally, is I believe that God's relational God, I believe that the Bible is a relational heart and mind of God. But I also believe that when a, when a brother falls, you who are mature should seek to restore him with justice and respect, there's still sin there's still confrontation, there's still exhortation, and, and there's still uh, the divisive person removed that, you know, there, even when you go through the scriptures, even into the commandments and the law, if you want to go back to the Old Testament, but there's still like these consequences and there's this identification that happens in here. It's done in love. I totally agree it's done in spite. I totally agree it's a, uh, abuse like the word submission is deeply abused through the scripture so let, let's just pretend we agree on all these points where i run into the conflict is but the bible says this and it says to the church because paul says what do i care what outsiders think so this is not to the world it says to the church when this sin or this action or this attitude is in place the authority of the scripture and the authority of the church is to be brought to bear. And if we, if we de-authoritize the word of God, then suddenly we're like accepting everything. So like, what would those lines be in practice, so to say, if, if we're yeah. going to think I that think way? you're all over it, Jeff. I think you're all over it. But the answer, I think, is the difficult one. And that is, maybe we can't tie that down as much as we would like to. Hmm. I think that's the problem. There are some people who are going, they've tied it down. It's absolute. So when you're dealing with a father and, and the father says, here are the rules to live in this house. Are they set? Are they rigid? Are they how do we deal with them? How do we, and the authority, let's talk about the authority of the, of the Bible or the church for a moment. This is what I get. Now, you may be getting something else in your context because everybody's context is different. There goes the problem. Everybody's context is different. Everybody's culture may be different, but I got people who will opt out of the Bible when they want. Oh, 
I'm pretty sure that's universal. (laughs) Okay. I've got people who will opt out of the church and their relationship when they want. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I'm your pastor. No, you're not my pastor anymore. I quit this morning. Okay, so I lost my authority. I, I no longer have the authority to speak into your life. So authority, I think that's something we would have to discuss all into itself. But here is the point for the day's discussion. Dr. Kemp, are you writing this stuff down? Because you've stepped back you, and your arms are crossed. <laughs> we, are, we are illustrating the complexity of the problem. Hmm. And I believe the church world has yet to acknowledge even the complexity of the problem. People in different camps feel different ways. And there is no, there's no, a lead, there's no leeway given to another point of view. I think I think when we talk about, I, th- I think your uh, illustration of I'm the father, this is my home. I think there's times, are those rules flexible? It depends on what those rules are and why they were put in place, right? Absolutely. And, part, and so uh, be home at 10 o'clock. Dad, can I come home at 10.15? Yeah, it's fine, you know don't do drugs in my house, right? It's a, don't, don't you ever lay a hand on your mother. It's a, it's a completely different, but the application of that rule and the application of that discipline is in heartbreak, not in joy and not in spite. And I think so, I think so much of what we see is we see a relational truth given by a relational God that's applied in a non-relational way. Absolutely. So it doesn't, it doesn't break our heart to have to confront sin or break our heart to have to remove someone. Uh, There's, there's people and camps that are eager to do that. They're eager to cut you out. Um, And the, and and that's part of why they dial in on the minutia. My, my minutia that I think I've discovered in scripture gives me an authority and a self-righteousness over you that you don't have, as opposed to a, a loving, humble heart. Yep. If, we, if we had to divide because you no longer believe Jesus is the one true God, that I'm, I'm mourning Mm-hmm. the loss of that of that relationship i think you i think you're all over it, pastor jeff so the question is what authority would would affirm that slavery is the heart of god no uh, that's what i'm saying it's a false and and the and the for lack of a better term the abolitionist would have looked at the same scripture correctly, I'm air quoting if you're listening to this, correctly, and said what one group said was authority, another group said was blasphemy, and and uh, brought ultimately a desire for correction to that. Now, imperfectly and all the right, I mean, I get all of that, but, but the, it was almost the church correcting the church in some ways, what I see right now, 
just, I don't want to pick on this, but it's an easy one, like with sexual identity issues, is the introduction of an abuse of the text. And, and, and then if you don't accept that abuse of the text, you're hateful. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not hateful at all. I'm actually trying to find the heart and mind of God, but you're reading something there that's not here. Well, it's right there. Well, how can the most studied book on planet Earth for the last 2,000 years have missed that until you wanted that to be your agenda 20 minutes ago? And, and so it's a, somewhere in there, it's like, no, God says and God doesn't say. I am reading it right and you are reading it wrong. And that's a hard position to be in, but I wouldn't know another way around it. I would hope that I'm enough of a man of integrity that like with the slavery issue, I would look and say, I know for 200 or whatever, 400 years, everyone has said that slavery is right. I'm telling you it's wrong. I'm reading it right. And you're reading it wrong. You cannot own another human being and consider yourself to be pursuing the heart of God. But see, like the, the, those lines were drawn and that, uh, that, authority, I just air quoted again, if you're listening, was, was drawn from the scripture for me to, uh, for a brother to stand against a brother or to rebuke a brother. It's what Paul did with Peter over circumcision. And I don't, I don't always know those lines, to be honest with you, but when I feel convicted about it, I get pretty stubborn because I, I believe it, it, what God's word is saying, you know? I, I like the admission because I think that's where we live. We may not know. Dr. Hawk, say something because you are. Um, <laughs> he, he's been trying. We won't let him. <laughs> oh, I'm, Dr. Hawk, I'm, jump in. I'm listening because I, I just live up in my, my little tower and I come down every now and then and talk with you folks who are doing the real <laughs> stuff. But I, so I'm used to this. <laughs> I'll just go back up to my tower. Uh, actually, I, I'm thinking a number of different things. Uh, this this back and forth to me, I just want to mark this, uh, just confirms how important what I would call interpretive humility is mm. among Christian brothers and sisters. And when you, when you just get this idea in your head that, again, fundamentally, the Bible is this book of rules and information. Uh, and that I have the right way to interpret it. Um, you are along the road to certitude. And certitude in biblical interpretation over the course of Christian history has often not produced a lot of love. Hmm. It has produced conflict. So what I'm seeing is, is just this, I, and I just want to mark it. I mean, there's I mean, we, we strive faithfully and deeply to discern. I, I love the way you put it. Um, you have God's heart and mind through scripture. Um, and we come out in really different places. And what that tells me is that we need each other to yeah. come to the fullness of the mind and heart of God. We need each other. And I just, it for me, it, I just think it's one of Satan's greatest victories that the gift that God has given to the church to bind us together 
as a community uh, and to put us into conversation and thinking and um, has been the source of the greatest division and conflict. Mm. And we're seeing it right now. And uh, so I, I just want to mark that. The second thing I want to mark or just mention is that all of this, again, is we don't realize how that, that the ways that we interpret, just the way we talk, even what we've been talking about here is culturally tied to a particular way of thinking that was reflected in Western Protestantism beginning in the 1600s and on. And I'm just gonna pick a little thread, Bishop, of what you had, you called it cultural. I'm gonna talk about global interpretation. What's really fascinating and a challenge for the church right now is uh, we have Christians in cultures, non-Western cultures all around the world who are who think differently than we do and are seeing things and lifting things out of scripture that, that we never would have seen. And so that's all to say that this, this conversation that we're having is absolutely central. It requires both a, a sense of stridency. We, you know, we can all, we can all uh, talk about you know, how, how important scripture is to us and how, our, how important uh, these particular perspectives are. But when it comes down to it, um, we need each other. And, and that circle of Christian interpretation, whether we like it or not, is, is widening significantly, particularly in the global south. Um, so it, Dr. It, Hawk, you have, uh, you, your prophetic hat is on today. <laughs> what we're doing, as, as Kemp gets ready to wrap up, is that we are demonstrating mm -hmm. what this really ought to look like. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's Absolutely. A, a, I, I say it this way. I no longer want to be the hero of anybody else's organization but I want to be a host of conversations. There you go. Mm -hmm. It is the conversation that the world will look at, a white man and a black man talking about the Bible civilly, not exactly in the same spot, but willing to listen to one another and, and struggle and strive and push and see if we can come to an agreement on some principles that will take us forward with the heart and mind of God. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I love, I love that term, interpretive humility. And uh, I, I just think that if, you, if I can't sit with a friend that I love dearly and hear his heart and his mind and then wrestle, and, and I, I do think like this, this desire to win and like my agenda is bigger than the kingdom agenda and my point of view is bigger than the kingdom point of view. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me with, with what the church is facing, the headwinds globally and in our culture. Like, I'm not going to have that fight. I, I'm just not yeah. talking about Jesus. I might have that fight with you, but, but these, that's not the, that's not the conversation we're having. But I'm like, I got to, there's too many people going to hell for, for me to sit and argue with you about that uh, right now. And, and I, 
I love what you were saying, Dr. Hawk. Like we need, this is part of the body of Christ bringing out the fullness of the knowledge of God. But we won't listen to each other about, about it. So good. Very good. Dr. Kemp, go ahead, jump in and now you're ready to do your thing. <laughs> well, I, I get to always talk first and talk last, but never anything in between. <laughs> I understand my role on the team and I, I try to play it as well as I can. Um, this is why we do the intersection podcast. We are intersecting in each other's lives. You know, Pastor Jeff said it's not about winning or losing, but it is about how do we help to sharpen one another yeah. throughout this whole process. This is Absolutely. what it's about as brothers, as sisters in the faith. It's iron sharpening iron. And, and Bishop, I love what you said. And if you can direct us towards that scripture that you shared with um with that class regarding what, what Paul said about um, First Timothy 1 and 5. First Timothy 1 and 5. Thank you so much for that. And we're going to continue this conversation. This is not the last. It's, it's a lot of meat on this bone, and we got to keep on chewing on it and keep <laughs> dissecting it and talking about it as we move through the next episode of The Intersection. So at this time, I, I want to make sure that we always keep um, – we always keep the church lifted up in prayer. We keep our communities lifted up in prayer, our world lifted up in prayer. There's a lot going on right now. Um, our hearts go out to those that are in Buffalo with the shooting that happened. It's just, man, it's a lot going on with the rulings and the judgments that are happening. You know, the, the church is up against it, and we have to come together as a whole body of Christ as much as possible. So before we exit off, um, Pastor Jeff, would you mind just praying us out today? Absolutely, Jesus. Uh, I do pray for those dear families in Buffalo and what a gross display of hatred and vitriol straight, straight from the heart of the evil one. And Lord, if you would somehow surround them and help them and comfort them and be real to them, Lord, that tragedies like that can create bitterness they can create revival they can create change and, and we just ask that the latter be the case uh, lord i think there's a church shooting in california and uh, just this weekend too and that that dear uh church um god that you would just help them as a body and as a people as as they suffer and mourn and how much that would change and, and affect them lord and so Lord, our, our heart is to love you and to know you and then to reflect you. And uh, Lord, thank you that we can do that um, here. Thank you that we get to lead in institutions and in congregations that want to do that. And Jesus, I just pray that for those who hear us and for those that we lead, that a passion to know you and to love the neighbor is really what drives us, whether we're talking theology or talking culture, drives us above all things. So do a great work, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 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 I want to thank all of our audience for jumping on with us today as we continue to see God's voice navigating all the different intersections of our lives. You can subscribe or follow us on Apple, Google, Skechers, Spotify, and YouTube, and we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any questions, for us here at the intersection, please go to intersection at loveakron.com. That is intersection at loveakron.com. And we'll see you next time here 
at the intersection. God bless you and have a great, great week. Take care, everybody. Thanks again for listening to today's episode of The Intersection, where we look at how everything intersects and brings us all back to Jesus. You can subscribe and follow us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. You can reach out to us with questions or comments at intersection at loveakron.com. That's intersection at loveakron.com. And we'll see you next time at The Intersection.